Good morning, Urban Village. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm a pastor and church planter up in Milwaukee, but once upon a time, I was an Urban Village church member and then a student pastor. It is an absolute honor and joy to be with you this morning talking about fest, this uh, celebration that we are called to, the practice, the spiritual discipline of joy and feasting, festival and life that is a crucial part of our journey uh, and a crucial part of our spirituality. I was a little thrown off though when I realized that I was going to be preaching about dancing. I don't have a great relationship to dance. Uh, as my friend Ryan likes to say, uh, I only dance ironically. And that's not actually true. I dance with wild abandon sometimes, but usually in the privacy of my own home or behind closed doors. I have a really uh, complicated relationship with dance in part because of a mixture of cultural misogyny that says dance and expressions of bodies are only for women and that things that are for women are inherently bad or less. That sickness of misogyny that infects all of us, but I have certainly been shaped by. But also queer phobia and transphobia, the gender binary which has set out expectations for me as a female assigned person about what I ought to do. As a non-binary trans person, I don't have a whole lot of examples, and certainly didn't growing up, of what it meant to be me in the way that God had created me to be. So rather than being inspired by the copious genderqueer people around me, I could only see what felt like things that I wasn't. I wasn't a girl, and I was told dancing was for girls. I secretly actually loved dance, though, and loved, in particular, men who danced. Gene Kelly was one of the important figures in my early cultural upbringing, a tap dancer who seemed to somehow incorporate masculinity and working-class aesthetics into this expression of the body, paired with song and storytelling and love. I wanted to be like that. But when I signed up for dance class, they handed me pink leotards and tights, and uh, I gotta say, I didn't last too long. This story is about men who dance. Not only men, there were women in that story too who go unnamed, and I have to hope there were trans folk as well, non-binary people, dancing in that crowd, even if they weren't seen as such. In particular today, we're talking about David dancing. And David is dancing a spiritual dance, a, a bodily ecstasy that has to do with feeling so connected and so joyful and so complicated about the presence of God. The setting of this story is important, and so we're actually going to back up before even the text today to tell you about the dance. There is an ark the Ark of the Covenant. This is the home of God, and lucky for us, it's mobile. So God lives in the Ark. It is sacred and treasured. It is held dear. But it has been away for a long time. The people have been separated from God, the God who doesn't live high up in the mountains, far, far away in the sky, but actually lives among the people in this really deep incarnational way. The ark is the symbol of the God who dwells with us, who wants contact with us, who draws us in and travels with us wherever we go. 
And so the people are traveling with the ark, with their God. And the people are thrilled. They're welcoming God home. They've been separated. They're, they're reunifying. And so they start to dance. This whole crowd of people is dancing, led by King David. And they're celebrating. God is with them. They're coming home together, reunited. And so they dance. The text says they dance with all their might. And a man named Uzzah is driving the cart with his brother, the cart which carries the ark, the cart um, brought forth by these oxen, these like steady, strong oxen, who are in the midst of this chaotic dancing crowd. As they're dancing, the text says, they dance with all their might with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. It's like even in the Bible where the, there are so many stories that we have to compress everything and details get lost left and right. They still manage to list several instruments because they're saying we are banging everything we can together to make noise. We are shouting. We are moving. We are feeling the spirit of God among us. But as they dance, the oxen that carry it, those beast, beasts tasked with moving it along on its predetermined route, the oxen are disturbed, perhaps by the dancing. In the midst of all of this jubilation, perhaps the oxen are overwhelmed. We don't know. Either way, in the midst of this display, the oxen shake the ark violently. Uzzah, tasked with moving this through in this, in this jubilant parade, sees the shaking caused by the oxen and instinctively reaches out a hand to steady the ark and is struck dead on contact. What happened? The next question everyone seems to ask is, what did he do wrong? This is what we do when we see folks suffering. This is what we have been doing when we see folks suddenly struck dead in the streets. What did he do wrong? We try and find blame and guilt in the victim. This is a pattern of all of the police brutality we've seen emerging and discussed over the past weeks and years in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement. That we, as a culture, are much more interested in investigating the victim than the perpetrator of that violence. What about God? Everyone around seems to think that Uzzah has been struck, God, struck dead by God, that God has made a just and righteous decision. Uzzah must have something wrong. We would never stop to question, why would God possibly do this? It seems pretty unjust that someone would be struck dead just for trying to write a tilted ark. And the people who like the ark exactly the way it is say that it was God's will that Uzzah died and he must have done something wrong. But how many of us have been burned coming too close to the home of God? How many of us seeing something terribly off kilter in the home of God, in the church, or in the powers and seats of authority, how many of us have reached out to try and right that horrible, violent shaking, 
only to be traumatized, victimized, and then blamed for the wounds inflicted upon us. We need to pause here. Why do we assume Uzzah died from his own sin and not the sins of others? The ark is power. The ark is access. The ark represents the structures that contain God from our perspective. And therefore, those are the structures that legitimate the way things are. In the streets every day, Black Lives Matter activists, people who are doing the work of liberation, who are following Jesus' gospel call into the street on behalf of one another, are intimidated, jailed, harassed. In my own neighborhood, an adult white woman spit on a black child in the middle of a protest. A teenage boy, she spit on him with contempt for trying in our community to steady that violent shake of white supremacy which has been hurting people, killing people, uh, just tearing apart the work of God's creation for generations. He reached out his childhood hand to steady it, to say, my life matters. This is beautiful. I am beautiful. We must right the cart. We must hold up what is holy. And she spat on him. She doesn't want him to be the one to reach out, touch the home of God, the seat of power, to change the parameters of authority and access. This happens in the church too, with race, with misogyny, with ableism, with queer phobia. We are spinning out of control, the church is. Will someone do something? But what happens when the queerest and transest among us reach out a hand to steady the thing, knowing that it is not all violence, but there is holiness in there that needs to be protected and honored and brought home. All that violence comes lashing out back at us, striking us with a variety of deaths, some physical, some spiritual death, for which we ourselves or our queerness is blamed. It is not Uzzah's steadying hand that kills him. It is the violence shaking the home of God. It is not this that kills people in the streets. It is anti-black racism that kills black people. It is not queerness that causes spiritual and literal death. It is queer phobia that hunts us down, especially if we have the audacity to seek out God in the supposed home of love the modern ark, the church. I told you this would be a story about dancing and about David. But this is the setting for the dance that we read about in our scripture text today. Uzzah had been dancing with the crowd. David had been dancing with the crowd. They had been dancing together, jubilant, but then Uzzah is struck dead, and out of fear, David stops dancing. We don't have a lot of detail in the text about what he's going through in this moment. Perhaps grief, rage, 
we do know that he's afraid. What happens to us when we see our loved ones burned, struck, beaten by the church that was supposed to love and protect us? Or we see the church look away while the whole world is watching the authorities beat us down. David retreats. For months, he puts as much distance as possible between him and the ark. He can't try and touch it now. He doesn't feel like dancing anymore. But from afar, he sees that those who do so have access to the ark are blessed, are filled with blessings. He wants in on that. He felt it for a moment when he danced. He wants access to God. But it feels dangerous. It feels so dangerous to try and engage a church that has burned you, that has told you you were wrong, that the violence you kept in your body was from yourself, your skin, or your queerness, or your transness, and not the violence inflicted upon you just for having the audacity to reach for fullness of life and the love of God and community. David sees the holiness still contained in that ark, despite all of the danger around it, and he knows that the God of Israel is for him, longs to be with him, is in that ark in order to travel with him, dance with him. And so, David makes a choice. More boldly than ever before, he decides to go to the ark, to take it, to travel with it, and to dance. This time, he wears this garment, an ephod. It's debated in scripture the exact nature of it, but a lot of folks say that it is not only a priestly garment, but it is quite revealing. And so, he goes, stripped down, made vulnerable, aware of everyone's eyes on him, and claiming as his only garment the authority of God, priestly articles that say, I have access, I am choosing it, I have a right to be here, I want to be with my God. So near naked and donning the religious robes of authority, David reclaims the ark, brings thousands with him, makes offerings to God, and once again is leaping and dancing. Dancing with joy, dancing with rage, dancing with expression of all that is in his body, having seen Uzzah struck down, having been so afraid that he had to take distance, but coming back, claiming his place in the dance floor of God's kingdom. They dance and they feast. How does David do that? How does he move from grief and lament and rejection to joy and dancing and abundance? I believe it's a choice that he makes, a holy choice. And it is not an abandonment of the grief or rage. By no means. David isn't buying into that binary. David moves fluidly. Because our feasts and our festivals, our dancing, the expressions of our body, they don't have to be one note. Have you ever noticed how similar the bodily experience is of singing and laughing? 
the things that we experience in life, the traumas and the violence that are put on our bodies are held there until they are released. Festival and celebration is often paired with remembering and not remembering only the victories, but the pain that led up to it. And so we need a kind of release in our celebrations. The sobbing and laughter mixed together, the fluid movement through emotion that says there is room enough here for shouting, shouts of jubilant joy, shouts of need, shouts of pain. But be here and bear it all and take the trappings of priestly authority if they can't be given to you. But come, be close to your God. Be close to the God who travels with you. And let no one tell you that the violence in your body is your fault. But dance it out. Dance the devil off your back, as Florence and the machine would sing. So when he makes this choice, and they dance and they move together, the energy in the streets becomes one of wild expression. And I've been in the streets a lot lately, y'all. I'm hearing rumors about Chicago, but I'll let you know about Milwaukee. The streets are full, day after day. We've been taking the highway, we've been taking the streets, we've been moving through nudge, chanting and praying, shouting and dancing. And there is this kind of back and forth. One moment we'll be shouting, I can't breathe, can you breathe? And then later, jumping up and down, chanting, we believe that we will win. And this expression, pent-up experience that communities have had, and as I have the honor of following black leadership into the streets to hear and bear witness to the expressions of pain, but also the expressions of victory, the claim of celebration, there is an Easter energy to the streets these days. And living in that complexity is a queer and holy and wonderful thing to do. The streets are a kind of festival these days. And the dancing is wild. And the release of trauma is holy. This reminds me of pride. Pride Month, Pride Fest, which we have in Milwaukee, but also Pride Parades where we come more naked than so many would like. And we, we dance, and we laugh, and we sing, and we embrace one another. And there is joy. But I have also held so many weeping, beloved children of God in my arms at pride parades and pride celebrations. How many tears get shed at pride? In a good and pure and holy way, they mingle together with sweat and glitter and hallelujahs. There is an outpouring of expression. And it doesn't know the boundaries of gender bending and societal expectations about misogyny. You can wear your leotard if it makes you happy. Or you don't have to. You can move with the raw power and energy you have, whether it is fluid and graceful or rough and tumble. 
And there is no assignment for who gets to do what. Like David, when we are in the streets, whether it is pride or it marches, we are all holy priests, and we are all naked, vulnerable, unashamed as we claim our place in the presence of God, hoping for a new and different world where that violence has been steadied and we are all made whole again. At the end of this story, we hear about Michal, David's wife, who sees him leaping and dancing naked and despises him. Now, David is a kind person, and many important scholars, including Will Gaffney, have done incredible work talking about how Michal has a lot of really good reasons to despise David. But here in this story, in this particular reading, and I hope over the course of your life you hear many different readings of this story, I think that Michal is holding a kind of contempt, a gaze that many of us are all too familiar with. We are not supposed to dance with such abandon, with such pride. We are not supposed to be so free. We are not supposed to be so jubilant or so angry. We are supposed to be ordered. There is a time and place to do these things with dignity. You are supposed to access power, including the power of God, through the appropriate channels. Thank you very much. For heaven's sake, do it according to your own assigned gender. But this outpouring of spiritual ecstasy, of the contact of humanity and God, is holy and cannot be stopped by Michal or anyone else's contempt. David says... Yep, and I would do it again, and I'll do it some more. I will dance, I will leap, I will find my castanets, I will bang on pots and pans if I have to, but this is happening. And that is what the nature of pride parades is all about. And I would argue that is what the nature of protest is all about. Celebrating a movement of energy, a holy energy that says the way things were, the structures that you love so much, they will crumble because they were violent to begin with. And what you are seeing now is the emergent joy of a new and different kind of way. A different kind of way that needs to name the pain, that needs to grieve our losses, and also holds a hope and joy and dance that we can't even contain in our own bodies that we have to shake out and twirl about and see in one another the celebration of what is to come. We are proud. We are priestly. We are naked. We are seen by God in this way all day, every day. But we do something holy when we show that to one another with pride in the streets, in our homes, wherever the Spirit may move us to dance. I invite you to be moved to dance naked with the authority of God as you take a risk to reach out for the power of, of the divine, which is already yours, no matter what the skeptics have to say about it. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we are in awe of you. May it drive us to dance. And may those skeptics come join us. Amen.